0: We begin a whole new Masechah now, Masechah Sukkah. And this will serve as the general introduction and overview for the Masechah. As you're probably aware and could have guessed, Masechah Sukkah deals with the holiday of Sukkot, of Sukkahs. And the holiday of Sukkahs is referred to in the Torah as the Chag Ha'asif, the festival of the ingathering. Um, It's also referred to in Chazal as Zman Simcha Seinu, the time of our happiness. And the reason for that is because Sukkot is the crescendo the climax the pinnacle of the Jewish calendar both on a physical level meaning if you live in an agricultural society um, this is sort of like the the festival of the ingathering means the old ones hard work has come to fruition and you now enjoy the fruits of your labors quite literally and also the the end of the two the spiritual cycles in the Jewish calendar—that is to say, the the three pilgrimage festivals, the Regalim, Sukkot, Shavuos—and excuse me, I should really say Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot—come to a conclusion at Sukkot and Shmini in truth, and then also the what well, maybe we'll call the Yom Naraim, the high holidays, if you will, um, cycle of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot as well comes to its um, natural conclusion at Sukkot time. So, and in a, on a spiritual level, that means all the work one's been doing all year, all the Kabbalahs he took last Rosh Hashanah, um, etc., all come to a to a happy conclusion. Bez Hashem in swan simchasenu, in the time of rejoicing of Sukkot, um, in the time of Chazal, we met, the Torah imagined that everyone would be in Yerushalayim, aliyah regel that money to be pockets full of money with their Meister Shaini money, etc., and the rabbis would be in the streets, and the Simchas, Beis going on, and the Pesach Mikdash, etc. So this was like the highlight of the Jewish year. And the Mesechta will deal with the four mitzvahs that are mitzvahs d'oraisa, from the Torah, that are unique to Sukkot. That is to say, there are certain mitzvahs that apply to Sukkot by virtue of the fact that it's a regal, it's one of the holidays, the festivals, on the Jewish calendar, like Pesach and Shavuos. Um, so it'll have things like restrictions on doing Malacha and certain Halachas that apply to Cholom moed But those topics we dealt with in other Misechtas, Beitzah and Mor etc. But the four Mitzvahs that are unique to Sukkot, those will be the focal point of our mishta here. So what are those four Mitzvahs? Um, two of them are explicit in the Pesukim, part of the Tarig Mitzvahs. One of them is um, to dwell in a sukkah in the the booth the sukkah for seven days and that's the topic of the first two chapters then the separate mitzvah of um, taking the four species the araminim and shaking them and that is the topic of the third chapter there are two other mitzvahs that are also mitzvahs do'araisa but not part of the 613 there's no explicit mention of them in the Torah but there is a tradition that these are halakhul and Sinai these date back all the way to our sinai itself, and Moshe received them, and those are the mitzvahs of um, the the draping of aravos, these large, you know, willow branches over the mezbeach, the altar, and, and then the custom was that the would go the Kohanim in the basement should go around them, and so on. Today we have Hosha'na Raba, which is reminiscent of it, but Hosha'na Rabba is a, a minag from the Nevi'im, not from the time of, of Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, and the fourth is the mitzvah of the nisa Hamaim to do a water libation uh, after the tamid shel shachar on the days the morning the daily offering in the morning. Um, that's done every day during Sukkot. So we also have a water libation, and that's also a mitzvah. A mitzvah d'orai, so that's not one of the six thirteen. Um, there is a reference to it, perhaps an allusion to it, in the P'sukkim, but the mem yud mem etc., but in short, there's no explicit mention of doing the Nisachamayim, the water libation, but it's there, and the water libation um, was considered to be sort of something of especially great um, joy, and there's a verse in Yeshaya, Isaiah, that says, U'sha'av temayim bisason." you'll draw the waters bisason with rejoicing, um, and there indeed was tremendous rejoicing around Sukkot in what's called the Simchas B'sa Shoeva, which is the rejoicing tied to and connected with the drawing of the waters um, and that will be a topic also um, in the Mesechta and we'll also discuss Simchas Yom Tov and the recitation of Halal a little bit and those um, themes the Aravos, the Nisachamayim the, Nisach the water libations as well as the general Simchas Beis Shuva and Halal and Simchas Yom Tov all will be themes that are covered in the 4th and 5th chapters of the Mesechta in total there are going to be 5 chapters. So now let's just go through um, we'll get into the details shortly Bez Hashem with the, the Mishnayos. but let's just get an overview of these mitzvahs and how they work so you get a big picture here before we get into the details. So first, the mitzvah of Yeshiva's sukkah to dwell in a sukkah, which is the topic of the first two chapters. The Pazik says Basukos teishvu shivas yamim you shall dwell in the sukkot for seven days Pazik in Vayikra, Chav Gimel Pazik so, the basic drasha is like the main driving force is it says, you shall dwell in those sukkot. So, we darshan tadurul. you will dwell in the sukkah the same way you um, dwell in your home, so to speak. And since the primary functions of the home, what one does in one's home, sort of exclusive to the home as opposed to out of the home, as I just said, my is essentially eating and sleeping. So, therefore, it's the eating and sleeping which are necessarily must be done essentially inside of the sukkah when it comes to sleeping, since in Chazal's mind, sort of sleeping outside the sukkah was just sort of uncouth. Sorry, eating sleeping outside your home was considered sort of uncouth. So therefore, all sleeping must be done in the sukkah during sukkahs. That would be um, both shenas keva, proper sleep, as well as shenas aray, like a little nap. All those things have to be done inside the sukkah. And achila, the eating, must be done in the sukkah. So there Chazal understood that people did eat a snack or a drink, something light, outside of their homes, and therefore achilas aray, occasional, like a snacky eating, a happenstance eating, whether that's defined as the kind of foods you eat as a snack or the quantity of food you eat as a snack. So that may be done outside the sukkah, make din. But eating a meal, a formal meal, um, can only be done like with washing for bread inside of the sukkah. And in fact, there'll be a separate. Um, requirements like a mitzvah on the first night of sukkah to actually eat at least a kazai, it's like eat a meal inside the sukkah furthermore it's brought down famously that you know while you are yes allowed to snack and drink outside the sukkah if one is careful to not even drink out of the sukkah drink up water whatever it is tavola bracha kol kavod him, he is you know it's a great it's a great uh, blessing will come his way now that's the basic mitzvah of yeshiva Basukkah. it applies. Um, to men, it's one of the eight mitzvahs, one of the eight mitzvahs that are um, prompted by some thing that happens on the daily or annual calendar. And of course, sukkahs is only around in sukkahs time. So therefore, women are going to be putter from them. The other seven, in case you're keeping track, would be the shofar, the shaking of the araminim, the recitation of kriyashma, the sfirah Omer, the Putting on a tefillin, which are two mitzvahs, shall rosh and shal yad, and also wearing tzitzis. Okay, that's those are side points. The point here is that women are indeed putter so women don't need to sleep in a sukkah or eat in a sukkah, but um, they certainly can, and we get a mitzvah like they would with hearing the shofar, etc. Now, interestingly, and sort of unique to the mitzvah of sukkah is the air is putter a person who is um, distressed being in a sukkah for some reason, meaning um, the noise or the heat or the rain or the Smell um, is causing him great discomfort so he is actually exempt from staying in a sukkah that's unique to sukkah um, meaning if you don't like the taste of matzah that's too bad you have to eat it anyways etc um, but if you are very if it makes you very uncomfortable whatever it is but if you're very uncomfortable in a sukkah you are indeed exempt putter the reason why is because we say kein duru, you have to live in your sukkah like you live in your own home and if it's the kind of if you'd be living in your you know sleeping in bed and there'd be a drip in the ceiling and water dripping into your bed or in your kitchen and there'd be water dripping into your soup you would certainly relocate so you wouldn't have to have a ruined bed or ruined food so similarly if you would have water of that degree dripping in your sukkah you are permitted to leave the sukkah and so it's not just about water it could be anything that's that, that causes you tsar uh, uh, discomfort now, the structure, like the shape of a sukkah is not at all described in the sukkim. There's no explicit mention of what the sukkah looks like. Um, it's famous that the sukkah is the rash, the, the verse itself says, so that your subsequent generation should know that like I, I had the Jews of the kingdom of Egypt in sukkahs. There is a famous machlokas so that's referring to sukkahs mamish, actual huts that they dwelled in, or if it's referring to the Anani hakavod, those clouds of glory, which surrounded the Jewish people on all sides and protect them from the elements, etc. Whatever the case is, um, there's so no, certainly no mention of what the sukkahs should look like, um, but we have on tradition, already Halakha Mosh Sinai, that um, the sukkah has to be uh, big enough for a person to fit inside of it, and that would be rosho, verubo, which means most of his body, um, as well as his head and his table. Uh, so that comes out to being, Chazal sized it up, and they said that it works out to being 7 by 7 tfachim, a tefach, a You can Think of as 4 inches, to keep things simple over here, um, 10 centimeters, something like that. So 7 by 7 I means something like around 28 by 28 inches, or 70 by 70 centimeters, give or take. Um, that's the, the floor space required, is the minimum for a sukkah. That's its its a uh, width and length. Each one has to be at least seven As far as the height goes, there's a minimum of a ten tefach height. Height meaning from the floor until the bottom of the schach. The reason why is because if something has a height of less, if, if the ceiling would be less than ten tefachim high, so it's called the dira srucha. It's like a icky place to live, not the kind of place people would would live normally in such a such a low ceiling. Um, so therefore, it's not kosher. The sakh, however, in the ceiling, therefore, can be high. It can be up to 20 amos high. We'll discuss it in the first Mishnah. But the reason why is because here sukkah has to be a temporary dwelling place, and if you made a if the structure so large, it had 20 amos high ceiling, 20 amos, meaning something like roughly 10 meters, you know, whatever, 30 feet type height. If it's that big or bigger, then um, it would require to be, it would be required to have more robust construction, making it a, the kev, like a permanent dwelling place, which the halacha doesn't want to force you to do. You could have a robust sukkah that could last all year, but it should have the possibility of being, it's not necessarily so. So, therefore, we're limited to 20 almost, there are other reasons given, we'll discuss them in the first mission of Bez I sort of jumped the gun, actually. I should have described that the sukkah has two basic elements. It has the sechach, which is the what goes above the sukkah, and then there's the defun host, the walls that surround the sukkah. I sort of jumped the gun, and I should have said that first. The schach is the essential part of the sukkah. In fact, the word sukkah comes from the word schach. Sikuch is like to like to cover, like drape over or something. So the schach is the essential part. It goes above you, and that's what we're talking about. The height has to be at least ten or ten tefachim off the ground. Um, the schach—it's famously formulated. That there are two basic conditions for schach to be kosher. It has to either be it has to be both. That it grew from the ground and that it's not makabol tumma, meaning it hasn't been fashioned in some kind of like utensil. The technology is a little beyond the scope of right now. Um, I actually would sort of rephrase it as having three criteria it has to have grown from the ground, has to be detached from the ground, and it can't have now be Macabaltuma. It can't now be fashioned in some kind of utensil or something. So whatever grew from the ground is fine, though. So you chop it and put it up, you know, raw materials, um, that's your sechach. It, it, the schach has to be put up what's called l'shem tzel for the purpose of providing shade that's essential, um, as opposed to, let's say, you put some, you know, some bundles of wheat up on your roof top of your gazebo to dry out in the sun, so that wouldn't be acceptable as schach, although it did grow from the ground, detached because you put it up there not for the sake of casting, creating shade, but rather um, to dry out, etc. Um, and it has to be that the the majority of the sukkah is in the sh- is in shade and it's caused by created by the kosher shach, meaning that it's the way it's expresses that silta meruba machamasa, It has to be that its um, shady portion is more than its sunny portion. I mean, it's mostly in shade inside the sukkah itself. Okay, there are a world of halachas that I think are the most confounding part of Sukkah, which is the rules about the gaps in the Schach. Let me say this very briefly now. We can revisit it more later on. Um, I'll say it quickly, though. If there's a gap of less than three Tfachim in the Schach, so then the rule of Lovud kicks in. Love is a rule that applies throughout the Torah, throughout the Torah Peh. that if two things are within three Tfachim of one another, meaning, let's say, at 11 inches, something like that, um, of each other, so then they are the space to them is negligible, halakhi discounted, and therefore we say there's no actual material, significant holes in the schach. So as long as there's the holes that we're talking about, the gaps are less than three tfachem, um then they're discounted altogether. That's true if you're talking about empty air space. You, if it's schach puzzle, let us say that it's not a hole, it's something there, but the, what, the something there is not, kosher, is not a kosher for schach, then you can actually have four tfachem before it renders it a puzzle. And that's going to be necessary if you have, like say, light fixtures in your sukkah or something like that. So they could be... Three tefachim across, and not and not be considered to be you know that you're living under a light fiction not under a schach, etc. Um, on the sides of the sukkah, it's a little different. The the side of the sukkah, meaning the place where the schach meets, like I'll call it, directly above, if you will, the walls. So you don't want any gap there. Um, if the gap is less than three tefachim, again, love it. It's okay. If the gap is more than that, then you've got a problem. Unless, unless. There is a called schach puzzle that connects, so there's no empty space between where the kosher schach ends and when the wall begins directly beneath. If you have, let's say, even like just boards or walls or steel plates, doesn't make a difference, um, that are intervening between where the top of your wall your, of your sukkah is and where the schach kosher begins, that's okay, and that can even be four almost across, which is very big, four almost like it's called it seven feet, some two meter, something like that. Um, so that can be a long, that can be a that can bridge the gap between where the kosher schach begins and where the walls begin to the edge and that principle is called dofen akuma which means literally a bent wall the idea being that we if you have let's say like you know let's say the steel plate going around the perimeter of your sukkah so we say that as long as the schach is such a steel plate and the steel plate is less than four almost across from where the walls begin so we look at the steel plate it's still part of the wall just the walls that are bent at an degree angle and bent wall, and the schach is touching the top of the wall, which is just off to the side. Okay, more on that little later on, but that's the idea. That's the schach. As far as the walls of the sukkah, so the sukkah requires defanote, which means walls. It, the basic rules of mechitz, also partitions, are going to be operational over here, the same way we had back in Erevin, meaning if you recall, um, that there were a few ways, we counted three back in Erevin, that you could have a empty space, and yet it can be legally considered to be um, a partition. Um, those mechanisms, if you recall, were good. Good means extend. You can have good aches or good asik, extending up or down, um, as well as the tzuras Pesach. If you have the form of a doorway, so you have you know, two side posts and a cross beam on top of them, um, those are going to be effective in setting up in, in working on your walls, your defanot of your sukkah. P-yard, P-ticker yard p ticker yard v tik- v-sosem actually won't be effective. And the reason why is because while you and of course, lavud always is going to be operative. Lavud is not, a, as I said before, is not a rule in in mechitzas per se. We talked about them filling the gap in your above, but lavud also connecting like straps or beams or bars in the walls of your sukkah would it be effective in closing those gaps to make it be considered to be a wall. Um, there is a difference though. Your sukkah needs defanot, it means actual, it needs walls as opposed to simply a mechitzah, a legal partition. And therefore, I mean, it's like, it has to be closed in so that things can't get inside your sukkah and at least you need to have at least um, two... Proper defun two proper walls, meaning proper. I mean that there are seven tefachim wide by ten tefachim high. Um, and the third one can be a little less. Even one tefach will be okay. The details of how that third wall is constructed is a little complicated. We'll hold that thought. We'll come back to it more. But you could get away with like three walls, in fact, which would define Rosh Hashanah Um Okay. So those are the Defunos, More on that later on. And that's your basic sukkah. Okay, so that's the first two chapters discuss those details more. The third chapter of Sukkah deals with the mitzvah of the Arbaminim. There the operative Pasuk is, it's a Pasuk in vayikra of Gimel Pasuk Mem 2340 which says, <laughs> you'll take for yourselves on the first day, pre hadar, a tree, a fruit of a nice tree, a beautiful tree, that's a reference to the Esro we have in tradition, kapos tamarim. that's a reference to the the uh, lulav—it means like just sort of like the fronds of a date palm. V'anaf it's avos—the branches or twigs of a like a braided tree, something like that. It's referring now to your um, your hadasim, and finally the nachal, which means uh, willows of a of a stream, and that's a reference to the aravos. Okay, so those four species you have to take. And you'll rejoice before Hashem your God for seven days. So now, if you pay attention right away, the first part of the verse said, take it on the first day, and the end of the verse said, for seven days. So the resolution there is that the mitzvah of taking the Araminim applies just the first day of sukkahs, only, just one day, except if you're lifnei Hashem, so to speak, meaning if you are before in the presence of God back at the base of Mikdash, then it's a seven-day Yom Tov. So a seven days of taking the Arb I should say. So that means that for normal situations, it's just the first day in the base of Mikdash and perhaps the area right around it, according to Rambam, it's all seven days of the holiday. Now, we of course have the custom of taking the Arb all seven days. That's a Din Rabbanin, the subsequent 6, that was set up by Rabbi Manzakai in the wake of the destruction of the second temple. So he established that as a Zechel and Mikdash, to remember what went on in the base of Mikdash, we'll take the Arbaminim, those four species, all seven days. Okay? Now, um, the basic... I'm not going to go into the details of what makes each of these um, Arbaminim kosher. That will be the topic of the third parak. But there's three basic principles at work which are based on that Pesach I read to you. The first is, it says, l'chem, you'll take for yourself. So the first drush is, it should be a like a complete taking, which we understand that the the meaning should be complete. The all four species should be, should be um, like shlemen, like the word tam, uh, as opposed to being chaser, missing a piece. So if your pitom fell off your esrog, no good, because now chaser, it's not a shalom. Second of all, it has to be lachem, Take for yourselves. That means that it has to be yours. Mishulahem, I should say. So that means that you have to own it yourself and be the baal, the owner of these arba minim. And finally, since it says creates hadar, a beautiful fruit, so or a fruit from beautiful tree, actually. So that's actually learned out from that, from the stroke to the other minim. They all have to be. Um, they all have to be. Hadar, like muhudar, that to be sort of beautiful. So, what constitutes beautiful in a muhudar lulav or arava? That'll be the topic of our third chapter of the Masechta. But they just, these three rules apply: it has to be not chaser, it has to be shalem, whole; it has to be mishalachem, it has to be yours; you have to own it, and it has to be hadar, it has to be beautiful. That only applies on the first day of Yom Tov when it's the Daraisa. When it comes to the derabanan days, the subsequent six. So, for sure, there's no requirements that it should have to be uh, a shalom anymore, meaning if the, estrog, the pitom fell off, so it's still kosher. It's okay. You can use it on the second day and so on. Um, it doesn't have to be yours anymore. You can borrow your arba on the second day. That's going to be fine. No need to sort of give it as a gift on condition to give it back and that kind of stuff. If you're familiar. No need on the second days, etc. Um, and, and as far as the hiddur issue, if it has to be still beautiful or not, it's actually for shonim. If that applies on the subsequent days when they're just their abundance. According to Tosfos, yes, they have to be... Hadar all seven days according to Rambam no just the first day and that will lend for some leniencies when it comes to Savarnim, when it comes to Arminim on the subsequent days of Pesach but more on that in its proper time okay so that's the third chapter now the final two Prakim chapters are dealing with those two mitzvahs I told you before the mitzvah of the Arava of the draping of those willows over the Mizbeach as well as the mitzvah the mitzvah of the Nisach HaMain the pouring of the water libation. so let's talk about those quickly to drape the Aravos over the altar, the Mizbeach, is a mitzvah Doraisa, but it's only halach mosh mesina, no mention of the psukim. Um, we do have a custom that's a minignevium from the time of the prophets already to do Hoshan raba, which is taking these Aravos in our own hands and going around um, and hitting them on the ground, perhaps, etc., which might have been what they did with the Aravos, either hit them on the ground or shake the Aravos. So now we have something which is a long standing custom, but it's not the Doraisa which we need a base of Mikdash for. As far as the nisachamim goes, the pouring of the water, so all, there's nisachim, um, libations I'll call them, supplements that are added um, to every shlamim and every ola, korbanos of those types, um, and they don't just include wine, by the way, we'll focus on the wine, they could also include also meal with frankincense, etc., now the tamid and the daily offerings, are a type of Ola, and therefore every Ola, meaning every Tamid, gets Nisachim with it. And the main thing I want to focus on here is Nisachim is the pouring of a wine libation, which happens all the time. Um, and the wine was poured into one of these safsal, like a basin that was in the southwest corner of the Mizbeach. On Sukkot, the Tamid Shel Shachar, tamid, the morning daily offering, um, was accompanied also with a Nisachamayim, a water libation, which was poured into another basin, safsal, like a bowl with a drain, um, also in the southwest corner of the mizbech of the altar. Um, and it was accompanied with a great deal of joy and and ceremony and rejoicing. We'll see that um, more in the psukim, with the instruments and the singing and so. And the pasach from yeshayah says, b'sason, You'll draw the waters um, with rejoicing, um, which prompts the larger custom of what's called Simchas Beis HaShoeva, the rejoicing that happened all seven days in the Beis HaMikdash. Um, in response, to this joyous drawing of the water, and um, the mitzvah of becomes comes into the Mishnah as well, um, as the pasuk says, bechagecha you rejoice on your holiday." It applies to all the regalim, all three of the holidays. But since the pasuk is referring in context to Sukkot, so it finds itself over here, which is sort of a, like I said, like the quintessential zman Simchasin, or the happy rejoicing holiday. Okay, and with that, we'll now, begin the Mesechta in earnest.